0: Our reading this morning is from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, This is the word of the Lord.
1: You may have a seat. Let's pray. Father, we ask in this moment that uh, your gospel, your good news, this finished work upon the cross, the blood of the lamb, torn flesh, our great high priest, Pray that you would manifest itself in the next several minutes uh, in worship in reverence in peace in hope, we acknowledge that you are you are doing these mighty things in our lives. We confess that we uh, stand so often in in awe that this would be true of the things about the people of God, that we are able to draw near, that we have the ability to hope and hold fast, and that you have drawn us together again as your people. May we we never lose that awe. Satisfy us here in the morning as the sun is just coming up. We pray that we would be satisfied all the days of our lives in you. We know this is a work that you're pleased to do, and we can ask it in the name of Christ. And so we do. Amen. Well, I want to ask a question as we begin this morning. Uh, what is a sure thing in your life? What is, what is the sure thing in your life? Now, you probably can answer that question maybe on a spectrum. Over here, you can can say something that is a sure thing in your life, something that is going to happen every day. You can count on this thing happening. And over here on the spectrum, it might be something uh, fairly uh, insignificant or superficial. And then on the spectrum, as you go this way, it gets more meaningful, more deep. What is the sure thing in your life? A lot of you know, I used to work at a TV station, and uh, we would always brace ourselves if there was any type of breaking news or severe weather coverage that had to happen during the day, daytime, and that's because what we discovered is that there were a lot of daytime soap opera fans, and whenever we interrupted those soap operas, they let us know that they were displeased. This was the sure thing in their daily schedule. Those that stayed home and watched Days of Our Lives, are Young and the Restless, they wanted to see their soap opera. It was a sure thing in their life, and when it was disrupted, they weren't happy. Maybe it's the embrace of a loved one, the sound of I love you in your home, Maybe it's the squealing joy of your children as you come home from work and they run up to you. Maybe you think of those things as the sure things in your life, that you know they're going to happen later today, tomorrow morning, the next day. But we also know that there is severe pain when these things go away. The things we thought were the sure things. The things that we could count on, the the things that we thought would never go away, the pain, the severe pain, the ache, when they actually do. Our confidence in those things are, are shaken all of the sudden. And I think what we're seeing here in this passage of the book of Hebrews is that the writer of Hebrews is wanting us to see. What is the truest thing in our lives? What is the sure thing for the life of the believer? Something believers can always count on and never have to fear that it will go away. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews, actually, for the next three weeks. We've concluded our time in Proverbs this summer. I was grateful for that time. But as we study in the next three weeks in this passage of Hebrews, we're going to have an eye toward the vision and mission of this church, the vision and mission of City Church. Many of you have been here for years. Many of you have heard our vision and mission for City Church. And so nothing in this series is going to be new for you. If you are relatively new to City Church, this will hopefully be an encouragement about who we want to be, who we want to be as a people of God, who we want to be as this particular expression of the local church. So there won't be anything new, there won't be anything revolutionary. These are old truths, these are anchored truths, and today we're looking at these anchored truths in this particular passage in the book of Hebrews. So we've titled it Further Up and Further In some of you know that's a, that's a line from the, the last in the series of Narnia books, The Last Battle. That's a line when uh, C.S. Lewis paints this beautiful picture of a finally arriving at home, finally arriving in the new Narnia and the desire to go further up and further in. Family, there are deeper riches to explore in the kingdom of God. There are deep riches deep, joyful riches in the kingdom of God, and that's the invitation we have this morning, is to go deeper, further up, and further in. So many of you do know that the vision of City Church is that we are pursuing a revival of joyful worship, a revival of joyful worship, and, and where we've seen that happen here, where we've seen it maybe even happen this morning, and certainly as we have observed that God is doing this work in the life of our church, that we've seen joyful worship revived in our own hearts and in the hearts of the brothers and sisters around you this morning, where we've seen that on a Sunday morning, where we've seen that in our discipleship groups, where we've seen that over a cup of coffee with a friend, and where we've seen that in the quiet moments of our own hearts, the call today is to head yet further up and further in, that it doesn't have a stopping point, that this type of joyful worship doesn't have a cap, it, it doesn't reach a terminus, if you will, it, it continues to grow, it will grow forever and ever, not even here uh, on this side of heaven, but when he returns, joyful worship, unending, multiplying for eternity, From the passage that Sawyer read uh, to us, uh, hopefully uh, you noticed, or maybe you didn't, but I'll tell you now, there are three let us statements. Three let us statements. In verse 22, we see, let us draw near. In verse 23, we see, let us hold fast. And then in verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So those three let us statements will be the structure that we will take over the next three weeks. We're going to look at each let us statements here in the next three weeks. And so today we're concentrating on verse 22. Let us draw near to God with full assurance. Now it's in some ways, unfair to all of us that we are jumping right in the middle of a letter. Uh, We haven't been studying uh, line by line or verse by verse the book of Hebrews. And so it's a bit unfair to jump right in the middle of a book without providing us with some sort of context, especially in this passage, because it begins with the word therefore. And and as you study scripture, you know, whenever you see the word therefore, it is referring to everything that happened before that point to inform what we are to do here. And so therefore, we need to explore what has the author of Hebrews said about what we are to anchor these realities in. If we are to draw near, if we are hold fast, if we are uh, stirred up uh, with one another to consider how we operate in love and good works, why do we do such things? Actually, verses 19 through 21 in this actual passage help Help us out quite a bit because even in these three verses, we get a really good summary of what has happened up to this point in the book of Hebrews. And so as we observe in verses 19, to 19 through 21, we see, first of all, that we have a confidence. That's an important word. If you write in your Bible, if you want to underline that word confidence, if you want to draw an arrow toward it, confidence is an important word. We have confidence the confidence. What's what's interesting and what we should think about is that the original audience, the first century Jewish Christians, the Israelites, would have been frightened at this notion to have confidence in drawing near to a holy God, to have any type of boldness and assurance to enter the holy places. But we have a confidence, and we do have a boldness, and we do have an assurance. And we do have the assurance to enter the holy places, as it says there at the end of verse 19. Now, this refers not to a man-made temple. These are not temples made by hand that we saw in the Old Testament. This is a new temple. This is a heavenly temple. We see that this is happening by the blood of Jesus there at the end of verse 19. This is happening by his blood, not by the blood of animals, not by the blood of goats or bulls, but by the blood of Jesus, the all-sufficient, sin-bearing, purifying, and forgiving blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. The curtain was separated Now, the curtain is is what in the Old Testament in the temple separated the people of God from the presence of God. This this is what the author is referring to. That that curtain is no longer standing. It has been torn in two. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, the curtain is torn. There is a new and living way. Verse 21 says, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus is the better high priest. He is the better high priest that did not take the blood of animals into the holy places, but took his own blood to make a once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And when he did this, he didn't have to do it again, as the author of Hebrews reminds us. He doesn't do this. Every year, like the high priest did in the Old Testament, he did it once and for all. And when he did it, he sat down at the right hand of God. Because Jesus is the perfect Savior, because he is a forever high priest, because his blood is better and it opened up a better temple for us to enter, because he is a better offering, and because our sins are forgiven, now what? What? if all that is true, if all those glorious truths resonate in our mind and heart, therefore, now what? Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. As believers, we know that this is where life is. Drawing near to God, that is the epicenter of joyful worship. We don't have joyful worship apart from drawing near to God. That's why our hearts break for those around us who choose not to draw near to God. Maybe friends or family who, instead of drawing near to God, are running as far away from God as they can. They're running away from a God who, who they can't Reconciled in their own mind, could allow this type of suffering in this world. I can't go near a God who would allow such things. I can't draw near to a God who, who would not allow me to express my truest self, a God who would not allow me to be my authentic self in this world. I don't want to draw near to that God. And yet, we long for our unbelieving friends and family to be brought near to the God of our salvation because we know that intimacy with him is the joy of life. When we draw close to God, that is the joy of life. And yet, don't we so often lack the confidence that the author of Hebrews talks about here? We so often... We so often don't walk with confidence toward God. And it's not just a confidence. It's not a lowercase c confidence. If you notice in the text, it's a double conf- confidence. Did you see that? In verse 19, we, we see, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, and then in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. We have confidence, so we draw near with a heart full of confidence. It's all about confidence. It's as if the author of Hebrews cannot help himself to point out that we have a superabundance of confidence that this is the reality of our life, that we with boldness and full assurance can draw near to our God. And yet so often we, we don't see this. Yet so often we don't have this confidence. It's because we tend in our sin to put confidence in other things or other people. But confidence in Christ brings incredible intimacy with God. That is, that's the main idea of the message this morning. If you've got a handout on the way in, it's written there at the top. Confidence in Christ brings incredible intimacy with God. And verse 22, which is what we're focusing on this morning, shows us that we have this experience of intimacy with God as we draw near to him in two ways, guilt-free and shame-free. We draw near to God guilt-free and shame-free. So first, we draw near to God free of guilt or guilt-free Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Whenever you see the word conscience in the Bible, almost always it's a reference to our guilt. It's almost always a a statement about our guilt or lack thereof. And so here, it says that our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil, guilty conscience. Now, this, this language that the uh, author of Hebrews uses would have been familiar to the original hearers of this letter because in the Old Testament, what the high priest would do on the, on the Day of Atonement would take blood. He would sprinkle the blood on the altar, he would sprinkle the blood on the vessels and, the, and the, the tools and the things that were in the temple. He would actually sprinkle blood on himself, on his clothes, and symbolically, because the people of God were obviously not in there with the high priest, he would sprinkle the blood on him as a representative of the people. If you back up just a little bit and read Hebrews 9 verse 22 with me, it says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But at the same time, skip down to Hebrews 10, verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Our hearts have been purged from guilt. They've been purged of the guilt and the evil by the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that speaks a better word. The blood that is not that of bulls and goats, but of our living Savior. So we draw near to God forgiven. We draw near as forgiven people all the way into the holy places. And again, we have to really remember how revolutionary this was for the first century Jewish Christian, which is the audience that this book was written to, this letter. Again, only the high priest, only once a year, could dare enter this room in the temple, this holy of holies, the centerpiece of the temple, this room where the presence of God dwelled, only once a year and only one man. And yet now all of us who put our faith in Christ have access Isn't that incredible? Once, if you tried to draw near to God and you were not the high priest, you would surely die. If you were to draw near and you were not the high priest, death would come. But now there is sure death if you do not draw near to God. If you don't draw near to God, then death will occur. There are many today that have deceived themselves that the way to God doesn't have to be this dramatic or bloody. There's a lot of folks that want to remove all of this imagery from our drawing near to God. But when when they do that, when they believe that that is the way to God, that we can somehow erase the blood, erase the torn flesh, uh, they are drawing near to a God of their own making, not the God of the Bible. The way into incredible intimacy with God is bloody. Flesh is torn. This is gruesome imagery. This is the things of death. And because of our guilt, it is is our blood. Our evil conscience testifies to the fact that it should have been our blood that was spilt. But it was the Son of God's blood who is spilt on your behalf. Believer, do you know that your evil, guilty conscience has been removed? Do you know that? And I know a lot of us in this moment, in the quietness of your heart, when I ask that question, I know a lot of you will say, yes, Jeff, I I know that. I know the gospel. By his grace, I know I've been washed of a guilty conscience. I am no longer guilty. And yet, we can say that with our mouth, and that functionally, we are guiltaholics. And we walk around all the time not really believing that. And we could, we could say the right words and intellectually assent to that reality, but how are you functionally living your life? Do you know, believer? that you are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Your conscience has been clean. Have confidence. Again, have double confidence. Have assurance. Have boldness in that. And we do this. We draw near to God. We, We have this assurance that we can draw near to God in the full assurance of the faith that we have in him with a new and living way. You remember it says that, a new and living way. This is not an old, dead way. We do not gain access to God through our own works. Ourselves cannot bring a righteousness that is needed to draw near to God. You see, what happens so often, and maybe especially in Christendom, and maybe especially in the church, what happens so often is that an evil conscience on the inside can look like a morally upright person on the outside. Your good works are not enough. Filthy rags are not found in the temple of God. The self-righteousness cannot remove the stain of guilt. You can't conjure this up. You don't have the ability to do this on your own. Only the blood of the lamb can remove the stains of our guilt. So we draw near to God guilt-free. Our evil conscience has been sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ. So we enter guilt-free, and we also draw near shame-free. Where do I get that? Look at the end of verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with our bodies washed with pure water. We were once unclean, but now we have been washed with pure water. Uncleanliness in the Bible is very much always associated with shame. So whenever you see unclean or dirty or unworthy, these are words that are very much linked to this idea of shame. Shame for being positionally dirty, being unclean, having some sort of attachment to death itself kept you away from God, kept you away from drawing close. No one deemed unclean in the Old Testament would dare come close to the temple. They would not dare draw near to the holy place in their state. The water that's mentioned here in verse 22 is very much connected at the temple in the Old Testament with purification water, or the the ritual waters that the priest would use. They would use water to wash themselves before they entered into the temple. But again, that was just for the priest. It was not for everyone. And so you can only imagine that the question that was left in everyone's mind at this time is, When will I ever be able to draw near to God? How will I ever be able to do this? I am unclean. I am unworthy. You must be washed. You must be washed to get into the temple, and you must be washed by Jesus. You can only be washed by him in order to draw near. He has to be the one to do it. Today we, we think about washing and, and we read about water and maybe your minds immediately go to baptism. And appropriately so, I, I do think that the author of Hebrews in this passage, when he mentions pure water, it, that is a tie to baptism. And what happens in baptism? This is, this is pointing us to the internal work accomplished by Jesus Christ But it's the expression of going under the water, being washed of our sins, a beautiful picture of what happens in our salvation, that as we are lowered into the water, the dirt that was on our heart, the uncleanliness, the unworthiness buried with Christ underwater and then raised to new life as we emerge. We go under in the water, unworthy of being in God's presence and emerge clothed in honor. No more shame, but able to come close, and not just a little bit close, not just one step closer to God, all the way in, further up and further in, draw close all the way in to the Holy of Holies with God. Again, we can't even begin to imagine how how new and how revolutionary this would have been to the first century Jewish Christians. So many of them would never, ever be able to see themselves in such a reality in the presence of God. They saw themselves so unworthy, unclean. Have you ever had this experience where where you've been able to be drawn near? maybe to a place or an experience or even a person that you just feel incredibly unworthy to be there, that you've been invited into somewhere special and you don't feel like you belong, but my goodness, you're glad that you're there. I uh, grew up loving the weather, watched it, grew up here in Fort Worth, watched the weather specifically all the time on Channel 5, and I loved David Finfrock, some of you may even know that name. He's... Yeah, I just recently retired, actually, from doing the weather on Channel 5. I was probably about 9 or 10 years old, and my mom called the TV station because she knew how much I loved uh, TV and weather. And she called the TV station and asked if it would be okay for uh, me and her and my brother to go up and watch one of the broadcasts uh, during the noon news. And to my shock and dismay, they said, yes. Yeah, please, please come up. Come up and watch the news. And so I'll never forget walking in to a TV studio for the first time. I could still uh, just recall the feeling I had. Of, this is the place that I've heard about so often that I see on TV, but here I am in person. So we sat there and watched the noon news, saw David Finfrock do the weather, and then at the end of the newscast, he, he invited me up to be with him in the weather center, and we looked at weather charts together. Who is I to get such a privilege to be here with someone that was so much greater than I? Someone who I was overwhelmed with gratitude to even be close with. I have a friend who says that there is a big difference between having an open door policy versus having an actual seat at the table do you understand what that means? A lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of employers, maybe, maybe you're one even in this room, maybe as an employer, you have what's called an open door policy. It means that my door is always open. If you need anything, don't hesitate to come in. We don't have just an open door policy with God. We don't have this curtain torn and access to God And knowing that the curtain will never be closed again, we don't have that just so we can pop in occasionally and and get a quick blessing or an encouragement. No, we have a seat at his table. We actually have a seat at the table of God, at Jesus' table. We draw near and we stay. We stay a long time. We, we stay in this place, this holy of holies, the actual place where heaven meets earth. We stay in the presence of the Lord our God. I asked you earlier if you knew that you are guiltless before that throne. And here's the other question. Do you also know that you are clean? Your conscience has been washed clean by the blood of God. You are no longer guilty. But do you also know that shame has no rule over you any longer? Do you know that you are worthy because of Christ? He has washed you. You no longer have an association with death. That's not your story anymore. It's it's him. He, He was the one that was shamed. Jesus was shamed on the outside of the camp, hung on a cross, tasted death for us associated with shameful death so that you and I would be washed clean. Let's walk in that confidence this morning. Let's walk in that courage toward our loving Savior. Here's the reality, and we've already mentioned this, but it's certainly worth repeating because this is where we find ourselves on this side of heaven that we know these things are true. Again, we either know them intellectually or we know them experientially. We we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have gone all the way in. We enjoy his presence, and yet we know that it doesn't stay that way all the time. We don't feel guilt-free. We don't feel shame-free. Here's here's what I want to do as we end our time this morning by way of application is, is give you a charge. This is This is my charge to us, City Church, and it's this. Again, this is on your handout. Let your union with Christ renew your communion with Christ. Let your union with Christ renew your communion with Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? The moment the Holy Spirit opened up your heart to receive faith, to believe upon the name of Jesus Christ and his gospel. You received an enduring faith. You received something that is unshakable and immovable. You are united now and forever to Jesus Christ. That is your position. That is your unending title. You are a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter. Your life is hidden in him. That is your union with Christ. It does not change. But your communion with Christ, that describes the experience that we have on the day to day with Jesus. That describes the experience that we have in this life as a Christian. Do you feel redeemed? Do you feel close to God? We know these, these things ebb and flow in our lives, do we not? They ebb and flow. There are times we feel close to God. There are times. We don't, and it's because of lingering sin. It's because of suffering and darkness that still remain. It's precisely at this time that we need to remember this confidence we have in Christ. So let me, let me offer three ways that we do this. This certainly isn't an exhaustive list, but I think it's an extensive list, and I think the three things are very much related to one another. But I want to highlight each of them on their own terms. Number one is this: practice confession and repentance. We already did that this morning, as Chris said. We we want to do that every time we gather as city church. Is acknowledge that we have fallen short, and that our sin. Our sin that still clings so closely affects our communion with God. It affects our relationship with Him. And we will never fully arrive on this side of heaven. There will always be sin to acknowledge. We should acknowledge them before God and before others. And as we do, we are healed, we are cleansed, we are brought near. City Church, for those of you who don't know is a safe place to bring things that are in the dark into the light. It's safe. And, a, and as it's safe, we want it to be all the more safer. We want this to be a place where you can talk honestly about sin. We want this to be a place where even in this moment, you're thinking, if I ever told anybody that, if I ever unlocked the door to that secret and brought anybody else in, I would surely not be here." I would surely not be welcomed into the presence of God. No, friends, this is what the blood of Jesus does. He sprinkled your conscience clean. He's washed you with pure water. Confess your sins, repent, and find life. Number two, we renew our communion with Christ through spiritual disciplines. That's a big term. There's a lot we can say about spiritual disciplines, But this is what I'll say this morning. Let us be a people of prayer. I see a lot of prayer warriors when I look out into this crowd this morning. So many of you faithful to pray. Let us pray all the more. Let's pray here on Sunday. Let's pray in the quiet moments with God in the early morning. Let's pray with our families in the evening. We pray with our discipleship groups. We also want to be a people that consider closely the practice of Sabbath. We draw near to God all the time. We draw near to God uh, all the days of our life. But there are particular times and days that we could set aside as people of God to Sabbath, to rest, to really under, understand and enjoy presence with God without the distractions of work or the other things that bother our days or busy our days the rest of the week. Do you regularly practice a Sabbath where you are resting and treasuring your time with God? Number three, we gather on Sunday mornings. This, what we're experiencing right now, what we are a part of right now, this, friends, is the premier time in the week where we see the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, enliven the body of Christ to be physically present with our head, Jesus. This, this is where all the gifts of this particular church that God has given, God has given us incredible gifts and the people that are here this morning. This is the place where all of the gifts of this church are able to be expressed, where we are encouraging one another. This is where the living and active word of God is seen, where it's heard, it's sung, it's preached, it's prayed, it's spoken. This is the gathering on Sunday. This is the place where we feel the word in baptisms, the washing of a new water. This is is a place where we taste the word in the Lord's Supper. And all of these are incredible means of grace that remind us that we are in him so that we would draw near in joyful worship. And that, that, friends, that is what's at stake. Joyful worship wonder-filled expectation of our communion with Christ an incredible intimacy with God who has come near to us that we might have confidence to enter into his presence and I want more of this I want more of this I want more of it for me and I want more of it for us don't you don't you want more of him Don't you want your joy to be multiplied as you draw near to God? As you recognize that your conscience has been cleaned, that been washed with pure water? Free of guilt, free of shame. God says, you belong here with me. This is the only place and this is the only person you will ever truly draw near to and never want to leave because it's what your heart was made for. He is the sure thing. He is the sure thing. He's the surest thing in your life. No matter what happens when you leave this place this morning and you go about your business the rest of this week, no matter what is heading your way, no matter what struggles are present, no matter what sin seems to cling so closely, this is the surest thing in our life, that we have confidence to stand before him because of the blood of the Lamb. Further up and further in, So as we close this morning, the question again is, what is restraining you from drawing near to God? Is it an unconfessed sin? Is it an unrepentant sin? Lay aside that weight. Is it a burden? Are you weary? Come to him and lay down. Maybe you've never come to him before. Maybe you're entering into this place and you've never had this experience. Would you, for the first time, experience the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ? The world and our enemy are vying for our attention. They're vying for our attention and our affection. Nobody enters into the presence of God backing up. We don't back up into the presence of God. Instead, we turn to him, we seek him, and he is found, the one who was cast far away on a cross so that we would be drawn near. Let us pray. Father, we We want to draw closer and closer to you, and so we pray that you would do the work in our hearts to see this reality that as believers, as those who have a full assurance of faith, that we have been washed, our consciences have been sprinkled clean by your blood, we've been washed by the pure water, and we are grateful that this is the reality we find ourselves in. May we find joyful worship multiplied in our lives as we draw near, but we need your help, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.